This is a Saddleback Church podcast. We're excited to be in this series called Created to Dream. It's based on Pastor Rick's book called Created to Dream. And every week we're unpacking a different aspect of the phases in this dream cycle that Pastor Rick unfolds in his book. And so we talked about getting the dream. And then we've talked about deciding to follow through on the dream. And to this week, we get to talk about delay. Because who doesn't love a good delay, right? Like, like you had your plans made, there was a timeline that was set, and then it's like, oh, just kidding, you're gonna be delayed. Like, just go ahead and stamp it on your forehead, delayed. And, and you know, it's a frustrating experience that we have all had. And so today we're gonna unpack what that looks like. But before we do that, we're gonna get to um, peek in on an interview that Pastor Andy and Pastor Rick did together. So check out these screens and then I'll be up to give the message in just a minute. There's, uh, there's always you know, the acting on it, but there seems to be for, for most stories in the Bible, church history, yeah. our own experience, yeah. there's kind of that delay phase that we go through. Third phrase, dream, decision, inevitably delay. A dream is never fulfilled instantly, never fulfilled instantly, uh, because God wants to use a dream in working in your life. Um, it is, there's always, God is not a vending machine where you put in the prayer and you get the candy instantly. There's always a delay, uh, and the reason for this delay is because while you're working on the dream, God's working on you. And God is actually more interested in you than in the dream uh, because the only thing that's going to heaven is you. The dream isn't going to heaven, okay? You're not taking cars to heaven, cash to heaven, clothes to heaven. You're not taking your china to heaven. You are taking your character. Mm -hmm. The only thing that's going is you. And so the most valuable thing in the dream is how your character is growing. And one of the ways, one of the ways uh, that God uses to grow our character is delay. The most irritating and frustrating things in life are when you're in God's waiting room, okay? When you're in a hurry and God's not. I'm actually in this right now with finishing the task because my dreams for finishing the task are, are so large and yet God, has put a hamper on my body physically with some you know, illnesses that I've had health-wise that have held me back. And yet I'm, I've walked with the Lord long enough to know his timing's perfect. And so I just go with the flow on that. Even though I'm in a hurry and God's not, uh, he could do it all really fast when he wants to do it. But the delays come uh, to really test our faith. Mm -hmm. How do you know when you're in that phase? Like if you look back, there some there's some part of the delay yeah. that is like God's, maybe God's showing us things. Yep. And then there are times where maybe there's a delay that God wants you to work through or break through. Uh -huh. And then there are other times where God's like, no, this is, I'm intentionally pausing or slowing. Yeah, yeah. How do you discern whether you push through that? Yeah which would be my natural tendency, push yeah. through it yeah. versus like, okay, keep being faithful, keep working on other right, things, right, right. but it's not, it's not time yet. Well, um, uh, this goes back to 
the issue of the three parts of a dream, what, uh, how, and when. And the, the delay phase has to do with the how and the when. Now, when you have a long delay, I, I have to admit to you that sometimes you don't know when to hold on and when to let go. Mm -hmm. You don't know when is the right time to hold on and be persistent, and when is it you're just being stubborn and, it, you know, and maybe I did miss the dream. The only way I know how to deal with that question is to go back and ask God for confirmation of the dream mm -hmm. and, and ask him, say, Lord, did I miss the dream? Uh, or, or is it, what's really the reason for the dream? What's the motive behind the dream? Uh, see, God always answers prayer. He answers every single prayer. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait. And sometimes he says, you gotta be kidding me. Okay, now, when, uh, when the timing is not right on a dream, God says, slow. Mm -hmm. When um, you're not right in the dream, God says, grow. When the dream is not right, God says, no. But when the timing and you and the dream are all lined up, then God says, go. Mm -hmm. So. When there is a delay, it means he's either working on me or he's refining the dream. It may be a little bit different than what you thought. So we have to be flexible and, and realize that the main thing to do is in, in, in the next three phases is to trust, and I'll mention this again in the other sessions, we gotta trust God's goodness and trust God's wisdom. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, that God gives us all different wiring. Yeah. But I kind of have functioned more with a just go. And then if God, if God doesn't want me to go, like if I'm acting in a, yeah. what I think is obedient, yep. he'll either, he'll find a way to slow me down. He'll find a way to close the door. Yeah. And then when I start to feel like, okay, I'm in this season that it's not, it's not working as well. It's not going as fast. Yep. One paradigm for me is like a base camp paradigm uh -huh. where God will, God will grow you. Yeah. And then he might let you get into a plateau for a while, yep. but you're picking up things at base camp right. that you're going to take with you absolutely. as you climb that next and Absolutely. I want everybody to hear what Andy just said because it's brilliant. And it's, it's true that um, uh, there's a starts and stops a lot of times like that in the delay phase, yeah. the start and stop, things like that. And it, it, it really, every phase comes back to one word. Will I trust God? Mm -hmm. It's all about trust. Will I trust God in the dream? Will I trust God in the decision? And will I trust God in the delays? That's so good. And in those delays, oftentimes there are great difficulties and we'll talk about that next. That's coming up. <laughs> so much wisdom in there. I wonder how many of you have had this experience where you've been rushing around to get to the airport on time and you get there, you, you finally make it through security without having to go through a full on strip search. We're always thankful for that. And then you, you get across the line and you're looking at the screen to find out which gate your flight is at. And you look at that screen and it's like, ugh, weeping and gnashing of teeth because it's like delayed, delayed, delayed. 
right? And, the, and you're like, it's the traveler's worst nightmare. And I'm sure we could all sit around and talk about our horror stories of travel delays. But I thought I could just share with you one of ours, okay? So Andy and I, several years ago, we took a vacation to Hawaii, just the two of us. And we had such a great time there. Just Hawaii is so beautiful. And we were coming back home from that vacation. Our hearts were full, always a little bit sad to have to leave Hawaii. And we get on our flight. Everything's going smoothly. We're about an hour into the flight when suddenly the plane turns left. And Andy looks at me and he goes, something's wrong. Because there are no left turns on your way from Hawaii to mainland. Like it's just a straight shot. And sure enough, the captain comes on and she says, we're experiencing some mechanical problems with the plane. So we need to turn around and go back to the island. Now at this point, that's all we know. So the plane gets like really quiet. We don't know if we're having engine failure. We don't know if our lives are at risk. And we're just like, okay, this is a moment. Well, we made it back to the island. The plane lands safely. We're all relieved. We get off of the plane and they tell us that they're going to try to have the mechanic fix it. That does not instill a lot of confidence in an airplane that's traveling over the ocean. And so, so several hours later, maybe two, two, two and a half hours later, they're like, okay, the mechanic has fixed the problem. We're ready to go again, get back on the plane. Nobody wants to get on that plane. And so we're, there's like an uproar in the lobby. Like, I am not getting back on that plane. They had to call the pilot off of the plane. She had to come out there and try to calm everybody down and explain, it's just a tail light. It doesn't affect the flying mechanism of the plane. If we were flying over the continental United States, we wouldn't even have to have grounded ourselves, but you're not allowed to fly over the ocean without this light. So it's fine, just get on the plane. So she talks us down, we all get on the plane. So we take off again. And about an hour into the flight, the plane turns left. And there is a collective groan on the plane, like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me right now? So sure enough, that stupid taillight has gone out again. We go back to Hawaii. They land us on a different island this time. And we all get off the plane, and we're just in the lobby of this, this waiting room. And everyone is so frustrated. I mean, you can just feel the tension rising in this terminal area. And, and like parents are running out of diapers and formula. It's the middle of the night. There are no gift shops open. There are no restaurants open. People are like wandering around like zombies looking for like a piece of tile where they can lay down their head to fall asleep in the middle of the night. We are so frustrated. And so when they were trying to see if a mechanic could fix the problem or if we needed a new plane. The problem when you're in Hawaii is that there's not a lot of extra planes lying around. They have to call a plane from mainland to come to Hawaii, which is actually what they ended up having to do. That's a long flight. And so it flies over hours, hours later, finally the plane has arrived, but the flight crew has expired. And <laughs> I don't mean that we killed the flight crew. <laughs> there were thoughts of it, but they did make it out alive. It just means that their shift was over. They couldn't fly any longer. So the plane has arrived, but we have no flight crew. They have to round up a new flight crew, which also takes more time. And we're just waiting. We have been delayed now for a long time. Finally, 18 hours after our original takeoff time, 
we finally board that plane. I have never been more glad to leave Hawaii. I always feel sad when I leave Hawaii, but this time I was very thankful to get on a plane headed back home. It's like all of that refreshment that we had experienced that week in Hawaii, all of that rejuvenation from a vacation there, it was like gone in a moment in a 10 hour delay because that's what delays do to us, right? They just take it right out of our body. You know, if a delay had a mantra, it would be, this is not what I expected. This is not what I expected. And and there are so many areas of life where we experience those feelings. Like maybe you had in your mind an age that you thought you'd be married by, and you're well past that age. Or maybe you were hoping to get into that specific college, but then you realized you didn't, and you're kind of like, now what? Or maybe you thought you'd be to a certain place in your career by now, but for whatever reason, you're just not. And it's not what you expected. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And maybe even just talking about these dreams is like stirring up inside of you like some, some uncomfortable, some unpleasant feelings because you're, you're so mad about it and you're so frustrated and you're so confused and maybe your heart just feels sad because hope deferred makes the heart sick and you are not where you expected to be. Well, today we get to talk about one of my favorite Bible characters. He actually is probably my favorite character next to Jesus. I love this guy. His name is Joseph. And he has a lot of this is not what I expected moments in his life. And so if you are in one of those cycling phases where you just feel like you're in a holding pattern, man, I think Joseph has a word of encouragement for you today. So we're gonna jump into his story in Genesis chapter 37, where it says that Joseph was a young man of 17. So can everybody just say 17? Okay, I want you to get in your head a 17-year-old guy, like a real-life 17-year-old. My nephew just turned 17. My son, Caden, is about to turn 17. And so I want you to think about a real 17-year-old guy because Joseph was a real 17-year-old guy. And it says that he was tending the flocks with his brothers and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel, who was Joseph's dad, also called Jacob, um, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Raise your hand if you think that's gonna go well. (laughs) It won't. Because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. Now, you gotta understand this robe. uh, Robes in those days were very utilitarian in style. They were short sleeves, they came to about the knees, they were used to keep warm, they were used to carry things, you could use them as a pillow as you needed, if you needed to at night, but just very basic utilitarian type piece of clothing. But this ornate robe that Joseph was given, it was probably long sleeves, it probably came to the ankles, it was not plain, it was ornate, it was probably colorful, and so it was like the kind of robe that royalty would wear. So all the, the robes that all of his brothers wore and the robe that Joseph wore Very different, a clear separation between the two. And it says in verse four, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So Joseph, he's 17 years old, he's daddy's 
favorite, and he, he's a bit of a brat, which we're going to see. He, he keeps tattling on his brothers, and he's like, oh, let me, let me wear my ornate robe that dad gave to me out to tend the sheep. And let me take my clipboard with me in case I need to tell daddy about how awful my brothers are. He's got 10 older brothers and they all hate him. In verse five, it says, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Isn't that amazing? What do you think that means? Like, any dream interpreters? Now, Joseph is either very naive or he's just like a bit of a pest. Like, he's intentionally trying to be annoying here because his brothers would say back to him, do you intend to reign over us? Like, will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said to them. But then he had another dream. And because it went so well the first time that he told these guys about his dream, he was like, I'm just gonna tell him again. And he says, listen, I had another dream. And this time, would you believe it? The sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Isn't that crazy? Like two dreams, same message, it must be true. And, and at this point, Joseph is feeling pretty good about himself, pretty good about life. He's, he's a young guy, he's the favored son, and he's got these 10 elder, older brothers that hate him, and that's kind of annoying, but you know what? He's got this dream that one day they're gonna be bowing down to him, so he's like, you know what? Just go ahead and hate, because a day is coming when I'm gonna be like, how you like me now? It's coming, I'm telling you. You know, a lot of 17-year-olds have big dreams. Like, I had big dreams when I was 17, you probably did too, but we all know that not all big, crazy dreams that 17-year-olds have come to fruition. And so let's fast forward a bit in Joseph's life and see whatever happens to this big, crazy dream that he has when he's 17. It says in Genesis chapter 42, now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. So it happened. It's like, yay, dream fulfilled, check. And don't you know that there's like a little piece of Joseph that's like, I told you, I told you this was coming. But listen, this was not an overnight success story. It was not like Joseph just had this dream one day and he was like, I'm naming it, I'm claiming it, and bam, let it be done. Because between Genesis chapter 37 and chapter 42, there was over 20 years. 20 years with a lot of detours and a lot of painful hardships that Joseph endured. And I'm wondering how many of you feel like you're in this kind of holding pattern right now? How many of you have been walking around with this dream that you've been holding on to, but it's getting kind of heavy? And you're wondering if maybe you should just package it up and put it on a shelf and pretend like it's not even a thing because it's just been so long. You know, between the inception of a dream and the fulfillment of a dream, there's almost always a considerable delay. And maybe for you, it's been years. Maybe like Joseph, it's been decades. And it's hard to hold on to the faith that God could resurrect something that feels like it is dead. It is a good thing that when we get into these delays, 
we get into these holding patterns, it's, it's good for us to be thoughtful about why am I stuck here? Like, is there anything that I could be doing to speed up this process? Is there anything that I'm supposed to take away from this? Something I'm supposed to learn? And so I wrote down three reasons why you might possibly be in a delay. The first reason is that you might be delayed by fear. And maybe, maybe you feel like you're waiting on God, but actually God's waiting on you. And he's like, hey, go ahead and step out in faith. I'm with you. You can do this. But it's been fear that has been holding you back. Or maybe for you, it's that you've been delayed by disobedience. Like God has told you something to do, but you just haven't done it. And you know, you know. And maybe that thing that he told you to do is completely unrelated to this dream that's in your heart. And you're over here praying about this dream, like, God, what do you want me to do? Let's go, I'm ready, you just say the word. And God's like, I already did tell you some things to do. Why don't we work on that and get that right before we move on? So a good question to ask yourself is just, God, is there anywhere in my life that is out of alignment with your will for me? Because you can be delayed because of your disobedience. But the third reason that you can be delayed and the one that we're gonna camp on today is that you can be delayed by design. You thought that you got delayed because you ran out of money or because you got sick or because somebody else's bad choice affected your life. But what I hope that you can see today as we unpack the life of Joseph is that maybe all of those things were intentionally crafted and you've been delayed by design. And there's something that God wants to teach you right where you are. Because you see, God always cares more about the person that you become than what you produce. He is always way more interested in the who than he is the what. There's something that he's preparing you for, something that he's doing inside of you. Because listen to this truth. If the character that's within you is not strong enough to carry the weight of what is put on you, that what is put on you will crush you every time. If you don't have character strong enough inside of you to carry that calling, that dream, that title, then that title, that calling, that dream will crush you. That's why God is building up character inside of us and that type of character development, it takes time. That is exactly what is happening to Joseph in this story. You see, he shared his big dream with his brothers and as soon as he did, his, his life takes a dark turn because his brothers just decide, okay, we need to kill him. Like, I'm not even making this up. This is exactly what happens in this story. They're like, you have annoyed us so much that the only reasonable outcome is that now we have to kill you. Like, that's a bad day. And all the brothers are like, yes, I agree. So this is just what's going to happen. And so one day Joseph comes into the field and of course he's wearing his royal robe and he's got his clipboard with him and the brothers are like, now's our chance. So they're gonna take that royal robe off of him, throw him in a dry cistern and they're just gonna leave him there to die. But then one of the brothers is like, oh, I have an even better idea. Because if we just leave him there to die, yeah, we get rid of him, but we don't really get anything out of it. What if we don't kill him? What if we sell him? 
then we could get something out of it. So Judah has this great idea. He says to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. So we're not gonna be murderers, we're gonna be human traffickers. And somehow that's an upgrade. And his brothers are like, brilliant. Yes, let's do that. And so when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Now I just think about that journey on the way down to Egypt and what Joseph must have been processing through. Like he woke up that morning as the favored son with a heart full of dreams. And now he's walking to Egypt, to a different country and a different language, and he's gonna be sold as a slave. And don't you just know that every step along the way, Satan was right there with him, just taunting him in his ear. How's that dream going for you, Joseph? How's that five-year plan working out for you? You got any prospects on the horizon of your brothers bowing down to you now? Because isn't that what Satan always does to us? Like God starts to birth something inside your heart and then there's some type of detour and Satan is right there to insert doubt and to cause you to, to not believe that God can do anything, that he can make any impossible situation a reality. And so Joseph goes down to Egypt and his career is getting off to a really bad start. Like he is not climbing any ladder of success. Like Joseph just took the stairs to the basement. But you know what happens in the basement? Character school. Character University is down in the basement and Joseph just signed up. Anybody ever been stuck in character school before? Now there, there are some great professors at Character University. They have an astounding faculty. I'm gonna tell you some of their names because you might have taken some classes from these professors. There's Professor Payne. Anybody? <laughs> Professor, Professor Trials, Doctor of Unforeseen Circumstances. I mean, this is a very prestigious university. It's not the type of school that you actually have to apply for. You just somehow unintentionally get signed up. And, and you, just, you just show up there and there are all kinds of different courses in character school. I have been signed up for many of them. They have a track for everybody. They got a track for people in their 20s. They got a track for students. There's a track for single people. I personally have been for the last 16 years signed up for this specialized cohort called Parenthood. And, and it's very forming to me. It is, it is great lessons that are learned in Character University. Nobody, nobody escapes Character University at some point in their life. And Joseph is about to earn a PhD in character development. His is gonna be a 13-year full-time program. And he's gonna have continuing education classes for the rest of his life just to keep his credentials up to date. This is the kind of class that bears a beautiful harvest in someone's life. Now, for the sake of time, I'm just gonna story tell what happens in Joseph's life because his life actually takes up 13 chapters of real estate in the Bible. And I'm sure you're relieved to know I will not be reading all 13 chapters to you, but I am gonna story tell what happens. So Joseph gets sold by his brothers into slavery and he goes down to Egypt and he gets sold 
to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar is a high-ranking Egyptian official, and he takes Joseph in, and Joseph begins to prosper in, in Potiphar's household. So Potiphar gives him a little bit to lead, and Joseph does well, and so Potiphar gives him more, and Joseph does well. And so eventually, Joseph is in charge of Potiphar's entire household. And so he's still a slave, but he's enjoying a lot of freedom and a lot of leadership. Now, one day, Joseph goes into the house to um, do his job, and nobody's in the house except for Potiphar's wife. Now, Potiphar's wife is in a bit of a desperate housewife situation, and she has a thing for Joseph because Joseph, he's a young guy, he's good looking, he's an incredible leader, and so Potiphar's wife corners him and says, hey, come to bed with me. And Joseph's like, no, I'm not gonna do that. That would be a great sin against God. And so Potiphar's wife is angry. She's probably humiliated. And as Joseph turns to leave, she grabs his cloak and holds on to it. And so she has this as evidence. So Potiphar gets home and she's like, look what your slave did to me. He tried to attack me. He tried to assault me. And she's got this cloak in her hand. Now, this is not the first time Joseph's cloak has gotten him in trouble. You're seeing a pattern here. And so, so Potiphar looks at this situation and he's like, all right, well, I'm going to throw him in prison. So Joseph, at no fault of his own, gets thrown into prison. Now, if you are Joseph in this story, how are you responding to this moment? Like, are you, are you angry? Are you yelling at God? You're like, you're like God, I was, I was doing really well in life. And then I became a slave and no fault of my own. Maybe I was a bit annoying as a younger brother, but I mean, everybody is. Why did I become a slave? And then a slave is like the bottom of the totem pole, but now I'm a jail. I'm in prison, which is somehow remarkably even worse than being a slave. And I don't understand what is going on here, God. Where are you? Is that the response that you would have? Because I think that might be the things running through my mind. Like, would you be ready just to throw in the towel on your integrity? Because it doesn't seem to be helping you very much. Ready to throw in the towel on your belief that people could be for you and help you? Remarkably, that is not how Joseph responds to this delay. He lives in prison for years with no hope of a trial, no hope of release. He's just stuck there. And he doesn't know how long he's going to be stuck. But instead of sinking into despair, Joseph shows extreme faithfulness. He actually distinguishes himself so much in the eyes of the prison warden that the prison warden puts him in charge of the entire prison, gives him a lot of leadership and a lot of freedom. So if you talk about character development, man, Joseph is earning a PhD in resilience and perseverance and faithfulness. And maybe God is doing a little bit of work to humble that heart of his that perhaps was a little haughty when he was 17 years old. Maybe God is strengthening those leadership skills in him because what Joseph had no way of knowing is that in just a matter of time, he was gonna be second in command over all of Egypt. Joseph could have never known that, but he made a personal choice that he would respond with faithfulness in every moment. And that is such a foundational principle for our lives, that faithfulness today prepares us 
for fruitfulness tomorrow. Your faithfulness in this moment, it matters because it's preparing you for something that you don't even know is coming. And so I wonder, are you able to be faithful as you work a minimum wage job that feels like a dead end to you? Are you able to be faithful when you're studying for that test that's coming up? Or do you take a shortcut? Are you able to be faithful as you're parenting that two-year-old? And nobody sees what happens behind closed doors, but are you faithful? I wonder if you're faithful under fire. Are you faithful when you're falsely accused? Are you faithful when you're given a whole lot less than what you thought you were going to be given? Are you faithful when your current reality is very different than what your expectations were? Are you faithful with what is in your hands? Because listen, friend, your faithfulness today, it matters. It's preparing you for fruitfulness tomorrow. Such a foundational truth that we see in the life of Joseph. Now, the second principle that I want us to lean into out of Joseph's life is that God's favor remains even when life is unfavorable. And man, if we could get this principle, because I think it's so hard to believe. It's so hard for us to believe that God's favor is still with us when life is not going well. But your circumstances are not an indication of God's faithfulness to you. Like God might seem silent, but that does not mean that he is absent. You might be in a dark place right now, but you know where God is? He's right there with you. Every time you wanna throw up your hands and be like, God, where are you right now? Listen, friend, he is right there in the midst of it all with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And we see this so clearly in the life of Joseph. I want us to look at two different passages. The first one is from when Joseph was a slave in Potiphar's house. It starts off by saying, the Lord was with Joseph. Can you just underline that phrase? And every time you see a phrase like that, as we read these two passages, just underline it, circle it, star it. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his slaves saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his master's eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his whole household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian. Why? Because of Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph when he was a slave. The second passage we're gonna look at is when Joseph was stuck in prison. And let's see, let's see what God says about this. It says, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. I don't know how many of you know this, but in the Philippines, we have a group of women, about 800 women, that gather together every week to participate in the Saddleback Worship experience. And these 800 women are incar incarcerated in a prison. There was a woman by the name of Grace, who was incarcerated in that prison for 16 years. And then Grace met Jesus in that prison. God changed her life. And, and she wanted to use her life to bring a blessing to the lives of all these women around her. 
And so she reached out to Saddleback to say, hey, could, could we somehow partner together and let's bring hope and help to these fellow prisoners with me? And so every week, these women gather together to hear the word of God. And so girls, I wanna speak to you right now. Those of you in the Philippines that are in prison, I want you to insert yourself into this story. And I want you to take your name and to put it where Joseph says in this verse. It says, while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. Listen, sister, the Lord is with you right now. His favor is upon you. He has not turned his eye from you. He's not done with your life yet. And he has a plan to use you, to prosper you, and to bless other people through your life. So don't ever forget that. The Lord is with you right there in your prison. The Lord was with Joseph in that prison and he showed him kindness and he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So listen, friend, unfavorable circumstances do not imply a lack of God's favor. Your life can be going really bad, but you can know, you can have faith that God can work it all for good. Your, your difficulty, your hardship, your dark moment does not mean that God is not with you and that he is not for you. You can know that the favor of God is upon your life even when life feels unfavorable. Now, I always think it would, it would help a delay feel so much more palatable if we knew when the delay was gonna end. Like if it had a finish line, right? Like, yeah, it kind of stinks that we're going through infertility for six years, but I know that at the end of six years, I'm gonna have a baby in my arms, and so that makes it a lot easier to get through this moment. But we all know that's not how life works, right? Like we, we don't know, we don't know how it's gonna turn out. Joseph did not know how his life would turn out. He was just stuck in this holding pattern. And, and he was there in that prison and his time in prison, it just lingered on and on. And he didn't know if he'd ever be released. He didn't know if he'd ever begin to make progress on this dream that he had. At one point, he did have a bit of a glimmer of hope that he would be released, but then his connection completely flaked out on him, forgot him, and Joseph was delayed day after day for two more years. And don't you just know in those quiet moments that Joseph thought to himself, man, this is not what I expected. This is not what I thought my life would turn out like. Delay, delay, delay. And yet at the same time, he was faithful. He was faithful and he was faithful. If you read the, 
rest of Joseph's story, which you should do because it's amazing and it reads like a movie script. It's just so interesting. But if you read the rest of his story, you understand that Joseph, or that God changed the trajectory of Joseph's life in a moment. Joseph went from being in prison with no hope of release to being second in command over all of Egypt in a single day. So I hope that that gives you a glimmer of hope today, that no matter what circumstance you're in, maybe you don't feel like there's any hope on the horizon, but you do not know when your breakthrough is coming. It might be right around the corner. So if you just hold on, God can do it in a moment. God went on to use Joseph's life to save countless lives all over Egypt and the surrounding countries from the severe famine that settled on the land. And it was actually this famine that reunited Joseph and his family because his family was experiencing the famine as well. And they heard that there was grain in Egypt. And so they decided to go to Egypt to try to buy food. They had no idea Joseph was there. They had no idea Joseph was still alive. They certainly did not expect to see him. But they did. And when they walked in, Joseph recognized them right away. He didn't, they didn't recognize Joseph, but Joseph knew who they were. And it says in the Bible that Joseph was governor of the land, the person who sold the grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And it was this amazing full circle story of redemption and forgiveness. And it's so beautiful. But there's, there's one, more, one more principle that I want us to pull out of the life of Joseph for this particular message. You see, many years passed after Joseph's family had been reunited. And it got to the point where they just constantly bowed down to Joseph. Every time he walked in the room, just bow to Joseph. It became as common as like brushing your teeth. It was just a thing that they did. It was no longer strange or weird to think that, that their sheaves bowed down to Joseph. It was just what they did. Many years had passed, and then one day his brothers come to him, and they, they beg for forgiveness and mercy because of what they did to him way back in the day. What had happened was their dad had died, and they thought to themselves, now that dad is gone, there's no barrier between us, and Joseph is probably going to want to get us back for what we did to him, so we should beg for mercy. But instead of condemning them, Joseph says one of the most astonishing things in all of scripture. It says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph said to them, you thought that this was all your doing. You thought you were the one that sent me to Egypt, but it was God all along. You were a pawn in the hand of God to get me where he wanted me to be. Can you wrap your mind around the significance of this principle? This means that other people's evil intent cannot derail God's destiny for your life. That should be such a relief to some of you. Other people's evil intent, the evil that was done toward you, it cannot derail God's destiny for your life. Some of you feel like you have been delayed because of what someone else has done to you. Like maybe your business partner pulled the rug right out from under you, or maybe your parents abandoned you, or maybe your spouse betrayed you, and you have felt like your whole life is off course because of what they did to you. But friend, you can have peace, that that is not how it works in God's economy. 
that God can use whatever circumstances to reroute you to the exact place that he wants you to be. The only thing that can derail God's dream for your life is your own persistent disobedience. God can use any detour to reroute you to the place that he wants you to be. He can get you there. Listen to this, he can use jealous, angry brothers to get Joseph to the throne. And he can use angry, jealous religious leaders to get Jesus to a cross. Think about that. He can use any evil in this world. There is no evil greater than the Most High. And so I don't know what's come against you in your life. I don't know what evil has been placed upon you. And I'm sorry for whatever you've endured. But friend, do not believe for a minute that it can derail God's destiny for your life. We serve a God that works all things together for our good and for his glory. So friend, this delay is not in vain. And your pain, it's not without purpose. He's doing something in you. He is forming something in you that is so much more significant than anything he ever will do through you. He's growing your leadership. He's strengthening your integrity. He is preparing you for something that's right around the corner that you don't even know is coming. So don't waste this pain. Don't cut class in character school. Because you know the funny thing about character school not everybody that's there actually attends classes. You have the opportunity. You have the opportunity to grow in character and perseverance and the ability to keep getting back up. But there's this group of people that they just cut class all the time. And normally they huddle up together and they just swap sob stories about how hard life is and how discouraged they are. And they're just bitter and they don't get any better. They go through the same trials the rest of us do, but they don't earn a diploma. They just end up with like, maybe a certificate of completion. It's like, you survived, congratulations, but you're no better for it. You're just bitter, you're just suspicious, you're just full of fear. Friend, may, they, may that never be true of us. May God accomplish inside of us exactly what he intends to accomplish through this delay. Your faithfulness in this season matters because faithfulness always precedes fruitfulness. So show up to class, bring a notebook, lean in, work hard, because his favor is upon you. His eye is on you. He's forming you into something. He's not done with your story. You are just getting started. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, would you come and minister to every heart right now? that is so discouraged because of the delay, so discouraged by this holding pattern that they've been in. Father, so often we pray that you would deliver us from these trials, but God, maybe you want to develop something in us. So God, would you do that good work of character formation in every heart? And God, as we're stuck here for what feels like an indefinite period of time, would you help us to trust you? to trust that your plan is at work 
Your plan is in motion even when we can't see it, that you've been faithful in the past and that gives us faith to believe that you'll be faithful in the future. And so God, form in us what it is that you want to during this delay. We're showing up for character school today. We submit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this weekend message from Saddleback Church. If you like this, please consider leaving a rating or review for this podcast. The Saddleback Church Weekend Message Podcast is a part of the Saddleback family of podcasts. Visit saddleback.com slash podcasts or search for Saddleback Church in your favorite podcasting app to see more great podcasts from Saddleback. For more weekend message resources, visit saddleback.com slash message resources.